We're going to do tonight's scripture readings. If you wouldn't mind standing for the reading of the word. I'm going to read out of Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For your yoke, for the yoke of his burden, the staff on his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness, For this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, welcome. We are starting our Advent series, jumping into Christmas, and trees are everywhere. How many of you guys already have your Christmas tree up at home? There are a few of us. There are a few of us. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Christmas music is officially allowed now, right? I mean, after after Thanksgiving. How many of you guys listen to Christmas music before Thanksgiving? Odd. Odd. <coughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess it would. Uh, okay, so we're going to spend the next few weeks. We're going to spend the next few weeks looking at the key themes of Advent. Um, several themes as we look towards uh, Christmas tonight. We're going to look at Jesus, the seed. Uh, we're going to look at specifically the theme of hope tonight. Next week we're going to look at Jesus as the star. We're going to look at the theme of peace, and then Jesus the scepter joy, the ruler, and then Jesus the Savior, and then Jesus the incarnate, the one who came in flesh. That'll be Christmas Eve. And then Christmas happens, and then we're going to have New Year's. This is all planned out, guys. And the New Year's is going to happen. New Year's Eve will be here, and we're going to look at Jesus the soon-coming King, the second advent. So we're uh, moving forward, and I'm aware that for many of us, Advent is not necessarily something that we grew up doing. If you didn't grow up in a more liturgical church, Advent for you might just be a box of candy with dates on there, 25 days that you count down since December 1st. Anybody, that's, that's what Advent seems like to you? <sighs> yeah, some of people didn't even get that. <clears throat> Oh, 
for many of us, that's, that's the, the most that we have for Advent. What I want to do tonight is hopefully set the stage of what Advent is, what it isn't, and why we're talking about Christmas before December, why, why we're getting into this. And uh, it's not just uh, this box of chocolates. It's not just a, a countdown celebration, tell the big day. That's, that's, it's more than that. Advent rightly understood is not just this, this just a countdown and an expectation waiting towards Christmas. Uh, it, it's about the coming, the arrival. The, the, literally, the word Advent comes from a Latin word that means arrival or coming. And the reason, traditionally, this was celebrated is, is, is to both celebrate the first coming of the Messiah, to look back and remember the first coming of our Messiah, and to anticipate and look forward to the second coming. To watch with longing and waiting and anticipation. It's so mutually a season of remembering and rejoicing that Christ has come and of anticipation and longing that Christ will come. Hope really is the central theme of Advent. It's the central theme of this season of, of anticipation. I think often we, we do well with the celebrating in this season. We do well with the, like, throwing a party and having a good time. But the sort of anxious waiting, the posture of anticipation... Maybe not as much. We like to jump straight into the celebration. As soon as Thanksgiving is over, as soon as we celebrate that, sometimes even before, if you're a glutton for punishment, we start putting up Christmas trees. And we start, red and gold is everywhere. And we start listening to Christmas music and decorating the house and celebrating. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Nothing necessarily wrong with that, but the whole point of this season of Advent is to spend several weeks not just celebrating Christmas, but preparing for Christmas, preparing for the arrival, the coming of our Messiah. It's about stepping into the shoes of the Israelites who waited for centuries upon centuries for the coming of their Messiah longing and crying out that their Messiah would come. It's about reflecting on our sin and our posture in life, our shortcomings that necessitate the need, that cause the need for him to come in the first place. It's about looking around at the broken world around you and seeing and longing that the Lord would make all things right again seeing the need for hope. And then once we get to Christmas, Christmas Day, we celebrate. We, we rejoice that our Savior has come, the Messiah has come. But Advent begins in darkness. Advent starts in this position, this, this scenario of darkness. 
Most of our world believes that things are better today, that things are, are better off now than they were in years past. That the world is progressively getting better, that human ingenuity and our developments, our technology, and you know, SpaceX is sending rockets up, and all of this stuff is making the world a better place. That your technology, the phone that you have, all of that's making your life better. Most of the world believes that. People genuinely believe that, that the human progress is unstoppable and that we can, we can change the whole world. Science and technology can solve our problems. The Enlightenment began this, this way of thinking. Began this, this way of thinking. And the Bible specifically pushes back on this sentiment. It pushes back on this naive optimism. The Bible's a story, not a scientific document. It's not a, uh, a collection of spiritual principles primarily. It includes those, but, but it's a story. It's a story that's told, and it tells us how we came to be who we are in this world, what, what happened, how we fractured the image of God in ourselves, how we live in this posture of rebellion, it tells of how our creator came of his own accord to become like us, to become one of us who became incarnate to take on the punishment that we couldn't pay. It tells of powers of sin and death that are at work. It's a story, and it pushes back against this sense of we can fix things ourselves. Every time you see through the narratives of Scripture that sort of sentiment developing, it just gets worse and worse. The biblical story is very honest. That's what I love about it. It doesn't just offer, offer some uh, optimism or like positive thinking. Really, it looks really deeply at the human misery, at, at your foolishness, our, our, our folly, our pain, our suffering, disappointment. It looks intently at that, and it offers a way out. An author, a book I read years ago on the issue of evil, said this, Instead of a growing enlightenment, it seems that there is more of an endarkenment. He's talking about the 20th century and the, the development of genocides and all the things that happened during the world wars. In darkenment. The Advent season, I think, is designed to help us understand that in darkenment. It's designed to help us wrestle with the current state of the world around us, the, the darkness that is around us. It strengthens us, I believe, for the real world where there is actively forces working against us. Advent strengthens us for this. The scripture reading that we read a few minutes ago is a classic Christmas passage, right? For to us a child is born, a son is given. We know this passage. It's on all the Christmas cards. But Advent really begins in verse 2. Of that passage. It starts in verse 2. The people who walk 
in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. That's Advent. Fleming Rutledge, in her book titled Advent, said this. In the church, this is the season of Advent, superficially known as a time to get ready for Christmas. But in truth, it's the season of contemplating the judgment of God. Advent is the season that, when properly understood, does not flinch from the darkness that stalks us in the world. Advent begins in the dark and moves towards the light. But the season should not move too quickly or too glibly, lest we fail to acknowledge the depth of the darkness. As our Lord Jesus tells us, unless we see the light of God clearly, what we call light is actually darkness. How great is that darkness? Advent bids us to take a fearless inventory of the darkness, the darkness without and the darkness within. I think she's right. I think Advent, it leads us to see the reality of the world around us, the reality of the world within us. Just to further illustrate this, you have a Bible, paper one, preferably. There's one in front of you. Grab your Bible. Turn to Malachi chapter 4. Very end of the Old Testament. It's good to hear pages turning. Very end, Malachi chapter 4. This is the end of the Old Testament, the last chapter of our collection of books that we call the Old Testament. The last verse of the Old Testament, both canonically and probably chronologically, Malachi is writing post-exile. He's writing post-return to the land. This is the end of this, this narrative. This is what he says, starting in verse 1, Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant, all the evildoers will be stubble. The day, uh, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they, are, they will be ash under your soles and feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my, of my servant Moses, the statutes and rulers that I have commanded him at Harab. For all of Israel. Verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts 
of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree and utter destruction. The Old Testament ends with those words. The last words of the Old Testament, the last words of this great narrative that's been building for thousands of years is, lest I come and curse the earth, lest I, lest I come and bring utter destruction. Now turn the page. Maybe two pages, depending on your Bible. Matthew chapter 1. Verse 1. The book of the genealogies of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now go back to that page that was in the middle. This is an activity here, right? Go back to that middle page. This page... Right here. This is Advent. This blank page in the middle. It's 400 years of silence. 400 years without a prophetic utterance. 400 years of no scripture. It's a long time for silence 400 years it's really hard for us to even understand what 400 years would be like the reality is that we've only actually even been, the United States has only been a country for less than 250 years 400 years of silence of the people of Israel longing and praying daily, expecting, hoping for the coming of their Messiah. 400 years without even a word of prophecy. I mean, we know that there's things happening. Stuff happens in those 400 years. But we have no recorded words. Nothing. Silence is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It's hard for us to sit in silence. If I was to just stop talking and stare at you, it gets awkward, right? Sometimes I like to do that anyways, just to be quiet. Leave it awkward for a few seconds. But if I stopped for like 40 seconds probably, 50 seconds, it might get awkward enough. Some of you might walk out. Let's just be honest. It gets awkward. Silence, even for a short period of time. We don't live in silence. Even the idea of being able to get away into silence, we are so surrounded by chaos and noise that we don't, we don't find ways for this. So we're left with this looming word from Malachi 4. This looming, lest I come and strike the land with a curse. And what's amazing to me is that after 400 years, 400 years, there's still a remnant. There's still a group of believers. There's still a group of believers that are praying. They're faithful. They're waiting. They're longing in expectation 
for the coming of their Messiah. You'll meet a few of them as if you read the beginning of the gospel accounts. You meet Anna, and you'll meet, um, gosh, my brain's, Simeon. I should remember that one. <coughs> Anna and Simeon, they're, they're waiting in prayer and expectation. Part of the reason we do this, we celebrate Advent, is I think it's good to slow down. Advent takes some few weeks for us to hopefully slow down and to try to remember that posture of those like Anna and Simeon, faithfully longing for and waiting for God to show up when it seems impossible, when it seems like nothing's going to happen. Biblically understood, Advent is not just about Christmas preparations and parties. We have to start in darkness. We have to start with the reality of this expectation and longing. One of the things I love is that the reality is that last verse, Malachi, strike the earth with a curse. He didn't do that. He struck his son with a curse. Advent is the fulfillment of that verse, but it's the fulfillment of that verse in Jesus. He made a way. So if we consider darkness, we consider this this posture that we're in, How do we find hope? What led there to be a remnant for 400 years still hoping, still expecting that God would show up and that he would do something? 400 years of silence, and yet there's still hope. The reason for this, the reason there's still hope, is that from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, in the fall Turn there if you have your Bible. Genesis chapter 3. Way at the beginning. We're going all over our Bibles tonight. Genesis chapter 3, we commonly call the fall. And it includes these statements from the Lord, these these curses. And in verse 15, the Lord is talking to the serpent, the serpent who deceived man and woman, who deceived Eve. And he says this, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The NIV actually translates that as as, uh, he shall crush your head, and you shall strike his heel. This is the first messianic prophecy. 
was, we were having this conversation this week about this passage, and I asked Elijah, our oldest, what the oldest messianic prophecy is, and he said that Jesus would stomp, he shall stomp your face. I was like, eh, it's close enough. It's close enough. He'll face stomping. Crush his head. Crush the head of the serpent. Way from the beginning, like literally in the fall, we get this hope, this promise that somewhere along the line, the seed of the woman, a son of the woman, will come that will deal a defining blow against the serpent, that will crush his head. Right here at the beginning, the seed of the woman, some descendant of Eve is going to come that's going to crush the head of the enemy. It sets the tone for the rest of the Old Testament. This is how you should read the rest of the, the stories, specifically in Genesis, the tone that's behind here. Every birth narrative that you read, is this him? Is this the one? Is he going to crush the head of the enemy? This is one of the reasons the Bible has so many genealogies. You're tracing the line of the snake crusher. There was this hope and this longing from the very beginning that there is coming one who would deal the defining blow. There's this promise and this covenant that gets renewed and, and recharged. God promised Eve. He made covenants with Abraham. He made a covenant with David. That he would send a seed that would vanquish darkness. He would establish Israel. That would be anointed the everlasting king and would bring peace to the earth. And as you read these stories in the Old Testament, you're supposed to go back to this prophecy. You're supposed to remember. Think about it. Cain and Abel come along. Cain and Abel, there's two sons. Surely one of them's the snake crusher. That didn't end up well. Surely one of them's the seed, right? Nope, not one of them. Darkness. After Cain and Abel, you get Seth. Okay, the Lord is faithful. Now we have Seth. Maybe he's the one that's going to crush the head of the serpent. Nope, not him either. Seth has Enosh. The last words in Genesis chapter 4 before you get into genealogies is this. At that time, the people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The people are calling on God. They're beginning to pray. They're beginning to intercede. God send the snake crusher way at the beginning. Way at the beginning as, as a son of Eve is born, they're looking, is this the one? They're expecting, they're longing, and for decades and centuries and thousands upon thousands of years, hope that one day this seed would come. The seed of the woman is going to come, and he's going to make all things right. He's going to restore things. This, this hope carried the Hebrew people. 
through all the things that they went through, through slavery and deserts and subjugation and triumph and, and then torture and turmoil, all the things they went through, this hope that one day is going to come this Messiah. It's the central theme of the Old Testament. It's the main theme of all the prophetic texts. The Messiah is coming. That's how they could wait 400 years of silence and yet still longing, still hopeful, still full of expectation. The seed of the woman will come and he will crush the head of the serpent. But until we meet that baby born in the manger, all the stories are just flickers, hopes. But Jesus is the seed of the woman. He's the son of Abraham, the descendant of David, the fulfillment of the promises and the covenants. God promised to Eve that the seed would come, and at Advent, at Christmas, he had arrived. The fulfillment is here. And with that in mind, we look back at the seed promised to Eve, the covenant promise of Abraham and David and their fulfillment in Christ. But we also look forward. We look to the fulfillment of all things when Jesus would return and fulfill his promises to restore all things. Galatians chapter 3, 29 says this. If you belong to Christ, I'm paraphrasing, but if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed according to his promise. If you belong to Christ, then you are the seed of Abraham according to his promise. You are brought in to reflect this hope. And if that's true, if you and I who belong to Jesus, who follow Jesus, if that's true, then we have to live differently. Then we must live as people of hope. That's why we reflect and we remember these stories, this longing for thousands of years. We must live as a people of hope with expectation that our Messiah is here and is coming. Think real quick about the reality of what's going on in our world. You don't have to think too long. Anger, maybe there was some anger and division even over your Thanksgiving meals. Anger, division. We're in an election year. The political division and arguments. Wars, multiple wars. That dominate our news cycle. Economic issues. Inflation. We all feel that, right? All the things that go on, that the problems that are around us 24-7. 
I think for some of us, the Christmas season is a bit of an escape. We know this is true because credit spending goes through the roof. People lose their inhibitions even. Christmas season becomes this time of escape, this proverbial Disneyland where we can suspend reality for a month or so. We can live in this peace of this, this realm of peace and elves and whatever, candy, gifts. We get to decorate and celebrate and all is fine. But if Christmas is anything, if Advent is anything, it is not escapism. It is not permission for you to escape the reality of what's happening around us. What we know to be true is that God came down. Jesus came into darkness. A light has shone in the darkness. He came into our situation, and Advent begins there. It begins in the reality of what's happening around you, the reality of your situation and circumstance. The proper Advent prayer is to join with the prophets of the Old Testament and to cry out, How long, O Lord? Or, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That's the proper posture of Advent. How long, O Lord, will we remain in darkness? As long as there has been a sense of humanity's sin, there has always been the cry, O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, God, with us. Come and be with us. I think this is the reason we have the New Testament. The reason we have the story of the early church. A big part of that is that the early church and the Jewish people in that time going through intense persecution. Jesus had come and gone, and yet Rome is still in power. Peter had to deal with this directly. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4 and 5 says this they will say where is the promised where is the promise of his coming for ever since the fathers fell asleep all things are continuing as they were at the beginning of creation for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of god peter's dealing with this question where is this king of kings? Where is he? Why isn't he coming again? Why is he delaying? The world is still in darkness. Nero is still on the throne. The political situation is not helping the cause of the church. Where is this king of kings? Why doesn't he just fix this mess? The answer to those questions, the, the posture that the early church took is very important for this next season for us. What did they do? They reminded themselves of the events of his first coming. They told the story and the prophecies of his coming. 
They searched the Old Testament for prophecies and hope that point to Jesus. And they told the story of his life, his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. Malachi's last words, remember, were, Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He, he bore the curse instead. He took that curse upon himself. He bore the sins of the world. And the early church reminded themselves. They told the parables of King Jesus. They told the stories that he told about watching and waiting and about widows trimming their candles in expectation of his coming. We want answers. We want resolve. We want this situation fixed. We want things to be right again. But we don't get the answer. We don't have all of the answers. What we do have is hope. We have an assurance that our king will accomplish what he said he will accomplish. We live with a sense of longing and hope. Advent starts in darkness, but a light has shone in that darkness. A light has broken out in the darkness. And we can't grasp what God has fully done until we sit with the condition of the world around us. Think about Luke's story here, the, the gospel of Luke. Zacharias, Elizabeth, barren, old, childless. They go their whole lives hoping for a child. Then an angel breaks in. An angel shows up, says that you're going to have a child. Lifetime of faithfulness and prayer. Zacharias was a priest. Lifetime of faithfulness, no answers. Just hope. Just barrenness. But then an angel shows up and brings good news. Get to Jesus himself. The story of Jesus begins in deep darkness. Political manipulation, censuses, abuse of power, murder of innocent children. Events completely outside of these young parents' control. Deep darkness. The moment comes. He's here. And from the very beginning, they want to kill him. From the very beginning, they're searching for a way to kill him. They, they send decrees to kill all the babies. From his first public sermon... They're seeking to kill him. Throughout his public ministry, they're plotting and planning and positioning to kill him. Alongside all of this, we have this message from the angels, fear not. Fear not. An outside reality has broken into the darkness. We have seen a great light. 
Something has happened. The coming of Jesus reorders and reorients our entire world around a light that has broken into the darkness. It begins in darkness and it sets that tone. But light has broken in. From Genesis 1, when God spoke and brought light into darkness, darkness never stood a chance. Darkness cannot withstand the light of God. How do we resolve this? Let's make it practical. Tonight, our Advent theme we're looking at is the seed. Specifically looking at Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent. But I want to end tonight with 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15 says this. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, ask, sorry, asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter's writing to a church in the midst of great persecution, turmoil, darkness. His response to how to deal with that is an Advent type of hope. A hope that over, overcomes all of that. A hope that's so pervasive, so overwhelming, that it's obvious to those around you. A hope that's so consuming of your, your thoughts and the way you talk, the way you spend your time, that it's obvious to those around you to where they ask questions. Wait, why are you so hopeful? What is different? What's wrong with you? That you are so hopeful. That you, how can you live this way? Peter's saying this. He's saying, let your confident assurance, let your hope of what has been accomplished on the cross, of what is possible today by the power of the Holy Spirit that's at work amongst you, and of what will one day be fully accomplished in the return of Christ. Let that hope so consume you. Let it dictate how you live that it becomes obvious to those around you. That it becomes evident to everyone who sees and hears what you have to say. Peter says, let your focus be on the superior reality of the kingdom. Let your hope be driven by that. You are a, Peter says, a, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. That's your job. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. Why? so that you can proclaim the excellencies of Christ. 
so that you can proclaim the excellencies of Christ who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. This is what we exist for. This is what this season is for. That in the midst of darkness, you would be a glimmer of hope. That you would proclaim the excellencies, the realities, the beauty, the wonder of Jesus who has called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Who has made a way for you where there is no way. We should be the most hopeful of all the people. This season, we should be the most joyful of all the people. We should exude hope in the midst of whatever is happening in your life or the life of those around you or the world. We're to live in a way that proclaims the reality of Jesus who called us into marvelous light. This is the people of God. This is what we do. We stand in light. We say, here he is. Here he is. You can find him too. He's among us. And yes, out there is darkness, deep darkness. But we are the Advent people. We are the people of hope that point to the excellencies of Jesus. Bonhoeffer said this about this passage, Isaiah 9-7. This Christmas passage. He said this, The authority of this poor child will grow, and it will encompass all the earth. And knowingly or unknowingly, all human generations until the end of the age will have to serve it. We have hope. That's the end. To the end of the story, we have hope. And we can be confident and trust that we have good news to proclaim in the light of darkness. We have seen a great light. Here's my question, my, my reflection for us tonight. Do, are you known as a person of hope? Are you known for the hope that you have? When people think about you and the conversations they have with you, do they feel hope? Or do we simply blend in to the darkness that surrounds us? Busyness, anxiety, fear, anger, resentment. We're to be a people of hope, not blending in to the surroundings around us. We are to tell his story. We're to remind ourselves of the story. We're to remind our children and our families of the hope that we have. To tell it to an unbelieving world that is living in darkness. The reality is that Christ has come and will come. And that should give us tremendous hope. tremendous hope. Let's pray tonight as we close. Father, those who dwell in a land of darkness have seen a great light. God, we have seen 
your glory. We've seen your goodness and your kindness in our lives. And if we haven't, I pray that we would experience that. But God, if that is true, if we've experienced and seen your glory and your goodness, your kindness, your grace and mercy towards us, God, help us to reflect that. Help us to live a life of hope regardless of what happens around us or to us or through us, God, that we would exude hope and expectation that we would proclaim the excellencies of Christ, that we would declare in our life the beauty of the God-man. Jesus, help us this season, this busy season of Advent. Help us. To remember, to reflect on all that you've done. To where, on where you've brought us from. Jesus, help us to slow down. And live in a way that provokes questions for which the gospel is the only answer. God, make us a people on your mission. That we would follow in your ways and we would do what you would do, what you are doing amongst us. Jesus, we love you and we bless you. Amen.